You could be anywhere doing anything, but you're hanging out with us. We appreciate that. So wherever you're listening and however you're listening, we appreciate you guys for listening. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Game Plan Podcast. Alex Goodwin is my name. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex Goodwin TSM. Again, that's on Twitter at Alex Goodwin TSM. That's T as in tacos, S as in sangria, M as in margaritas. This week, joining me here on the podcast, he is the authority on all sports in East Texas. He writes for Front Porch News in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Tyler Lennon, how you doing today, my man? Dude, what's going on? Thanks, thanks for having me, man. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, I don't know your audience how well they know me or how much they know your history, but it's a it's a takeover union, dude. Oh, absolutely, man. Long live takeover sports media. Absolutely. So. Just to get into it, Tyler, you're Dallas Cowboys, and Aaron and Kennedy could not be here this week. Conveniently, conveniently, now that the Dallas Cowboys fell in the playoffs in round one, wild card weekend to the San Francisco 49ers, 23-17. to Tyler, just, I'm not sure if you can speak for all of Cowboy Nation, but what is the general feeling like? First off, how do you feel? How do I feel is um you had mentioned they're my cowboys. They're not. They're not anymore, dude. Um you asked how how I can speak for the entire fan base. Uh, anyone that doesn't know me, I have a reputation in DFW Twitter, whether it's Cowboys Twitter, Rangers Twitter, Mavericks Twitter, whatever, as the overly pessimistic dude. And at times that felt really unfair and it seemed unfair this year. I was hard on them all year because I knew this kind of thing could happen and it's what happened. And I'm at the point now where we'll talk in more specifics later, but unless, as long as Mike McCarthy's still the dude, they're not my team anymore. I refuse to give them even an ounce of my emotion anymore. I'm done. You're off the narcotic? I am. It's funny you mentioned that. We're both huge Bomani Jones fans, and now I 1,000% understand what he meant when he said he gave up the narcotic that is Atlanta sports, specifically with the Falcons, and I'm there, man. I'm, I'm done with it. Uh, I've, I've kicked it like the bad habit that it is. Now, here's the thing with me about being off the narcotic, right? Because I quit the Houston Texans, and I, I tell people consistently, the Houston Texans are not a narcotic, okay? A narcotic actually gets you high, right? There has never been a moment in my life the Houston Texans gave me an ounce of joy. The Houston Texans, they were more like Mad Dog 2020, right? It tastes good right now. You know, you're feeling good because you've got your, you know, if you're drinking Mad Dog or Boone's Farm or something like that, your entire goal is to get drunk, Right? You don't care how your whole goal is just to be drunk. Now, when you wake up in the morning and your stomach's hurting, you feel like you got hit by a train. You're like, yo, I'm never drinking that shit again. Like, so I always question, like with Dallas Cowboys fans born after 1996, nine, you know, or 1997, how much of a narcotic are the Dallas Cowboys? Right? Cause that's a really, cause it's like how much genuine joy have they le- given you in the past 25, 26 years? That's a really good question. So I was born in 94. I was, I was born in December 94, which meant I was like a month old, two months old last time they like for real one. And my father makes the same joke to me all the time. He's like, dude, I at least saw all the good times. He's like, why are you still here? What have they ever, ever, ever done for you? And they haven't. They haven't done a single thing. Like the, the most positive times of my life were like the Cancun season where they go 13 and three and then lose their first playoff game or the Des caught it year. Like what? What have they really done for me? The answer is nothing. They've never done anything. I, I was going to say it's a way stronger drug than what you're like the Mad Dog 2020 that you're talking about. But like, is it really? Or is it just like 
I don't even want to start naming specific drugs, but it's like a really, really, really <laughs> strong one that you just know ends poorly. It ends poorly, but somehow you got addicted to it on accident. People told you not to do it. People told you were going to get addicted to it, and that's exactly what happened. So I've been telling people for a long while, I think I'm with, like maybe the Texas Longhorn narcotic. I might It might be time for me to get off, but I've been telling people for the longest. There are legitimate good times there. Great times there. Ricky Williams, Priest Holmes, Roy Williams, Vince Young, Colt McCoy. I mean, there were Rose Bowls, Sugar Bowls, Fiesta Bowls, national championships in there. So that, with that one, there's a reason, somewhat a reason for me to stay. Because that Texas Longhorn narcotic has gotten me high as a Georgia pine. <laughs> now, the shit stepped on very clearly. But there's every time there's that hope. When I get that vial, this might be that real. Every time. But as far as the Dallas Cowboys go, I think all year, me and you have talked about the Cowboys year in, year out, especially this year. And you were just about as pessimistic as I was. And the reason I was so pessimistic about the Cowboys was when they played teams and they had the clear talent advantage, they just overwhelmed them purely on talent alone, purely on CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Zeke, the pass rushers on the defensive side of the ball, Trayvon Diggs, they just overwhelmed people. They still were committing the same number of penalties. They were still as poorly coached and still had these same issues with clock management. But when you're playing the Giants or the Saints that are starting Taysom Hill, you can get get away with those sorts of things. And, you know, no one really notices or really wants to notice. Right. Like at a certain point, people start getting to the point where it's like, well, a win is a win. And so we should just be happy that they won. But when they played teams that had players of similar talent level and of competent coaching, the chickens came home to roost. So, Every single time. Like, the way they played on Sunday looked the exact same way they played against the Raiders, the exact same way they played against the free-falling Arizona Cardinals, the exact same way they played in Kansas City against the Chiefs. And that ultimately is a damning indictment of Mike McCarthy, who continually says that the last play call of their season, which was the quarterback draw, was the right play call to make in that Dak Prescott, he didn't make a mistake handing the ball to the center. And now I can understand why Aaron Rodgers hated his guts. Now I can understand why he was like, yo, get this dude out of here. He doesn't know what he's doing. Because I think we always wondered, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, how did he only make it to one Super Bowl? I think we know why. Yeah, so I will never forget the day they hired Mike McCarthy. I got a ton of shit from uh from Cowboys Twitter because I went on this really long rant saying it's an awful hire. He's an awful coach. If if Aaron Rodgers could only win once with him, I think that's like the most damning indictment that there is and people kept telling me, "No, what how, what other, you know, Super Bowl champion head coaches were out there?" And we know Aaron Rodgers is a cancer. He's so hard to work with. Maybe he is. Maybe that's true, but at the end of the day, I'm one of those people, in my opinion, he's, he's the greatest, he's the best quarterback that I've ever seen. And he's also very, very, very smart. Yes, he's hard to work with, but if, if he doesn't think you're a good coach, if he can't work with you, then what makes me think that lesser people are going to be able to do that? And from the day that he was hired to now, he hasn't done a single thing that would give you any reason to believe he's any better of a coach than he was then. And whether he gets fired tomorrow or he's still here a decade from now, whatever that day is, he's still going to be exactly as good of a coach then as he is right now. The only thing I saw all year long, I don't remember what game it was, but um, 
you know, clock management's one of his really, really big issues. Uh, again, don't remember what game it was. They end up winning this game, but he accidentally called his timeouts way too early. And they, again, they do pull out the win. They were able to score when they needed to, but they almost ran out of time because they didn't have the timeouts. That was the one time I could think, well, you at least did try. Now, yeah, you did so poorly. You did so inc- incorrectly, but you at least were trying to make the adjustment. But again, that happened once. He still did an awful job at it. And other than that, there hasn't been a single thing that I've seen him do where it's like he's actively trying to get better as a coach. And my thing is, we had this conversation uh, off air earlier today, but you know, if Mike McCarthy is an awful coach, if Mike McCarthy's an idiot, okay, it is what it is. He's an awful coach. He's an idiot. But that doesn't mean you have to continue to employ him. You don't have to keep him here. You're That makes you the bigger idiot. That makes you more awful at your job because you're aware that he's awful at his job. I've wondered this. And Jerry Jones really is the one that has to answer this question. Why did he fire Jason Garrett? Because this team, in the way the season ended, it looks no different from those Jason Garrett years. None. Except Mike McCarthy Mike McCarthy's a snarling asshole about it, right? And Mike McCarthy thinks he's smarter than everyone else when everyone can clearly see you're dead wrong. Like it's like the quote you always hear people say, It's better for me to think that you're a fool and you stay silent than for you to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Today Mike McCarthy removed all doubt. He's a damn fool. And the other person I think has to answer for some of this is Kellen Moore. Because all season, I think Kellen Moore has like the Mike D'Antoni problem or the Steve Sarkeesian problem. You know, whichever hot shot, smart, you know, coach you can think of. The new, the new genius of the day. That if plan A is working, he's all right. If he has to make an adjustment and go to plan B, he got nothing for you. Because plan B is really just plan A. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And all year long. They never found another way to effectively run the football. Once Ezekiel Elliott, I guess he tore his PCL and he really wasn't effective anymore. They never found another way to run the ball. Couldn't run the ball in the perimeter. Couldn't run it up the middle. Couldn't, you know, they really never tried a whole lot of power plays. Something that did work for them on Sunday was having two extra offensive linemen. I believe it was Steele and McGovern in the backfield. And that really worked for their one good drive of the game. And then they never, ever went back to it the rest of the game. Yeah, and he had done that a little bit with uh, McGovern, but that was still very, I mean, you would see it in certain instances. Well, I don't understand about Kellen Moore. Uh, I never really bought into this idea, but uh, an idea that was really, really heavy on Twitter this year, especially when the Cowboys were in a big lull, was that Kellen Moore is saving it for the playoffs. We're not seeing the real Cowboys offense right now. He's saving it for the playoffs. He's saving it for the playoffs. I don't know how he earned that benefit of the doubt. But we got to the playoffs, and what we learned is, no, he wasn't saving anything for the playoffs. That's just what the offense was all year, and he never made a week-to-week adjustment. And the point you're making, he never made any really in-game adjustments the entire time. I I don't know how big of a hit his stock took. I halfway think it probably didn't take that big of a one. I think, um, much like I always mention, there are very, very, very few good quarterbacks in the world. There's also very, very, very few good head coaches in the world. So I'm sure his stock's still pretty high, but he did very much so earn this benefit of the doubt of, oh, no, his offense is way better than this. He's saving it for the playoffs. And what we learned is, no, it wasn't better than that. and He wasn't saving anything for the playoffs. Also, and I think this is also a big reason Jerry Jones is going to be kicking himself, is in order to win a championship or to seriously contend for a championship, I believe you need a handful of things. You need a talented roster. You need to be well coached. You need to have a a good bit of health. You need to be healthy going into the stretch run. 
the Cowboys had an extremely talented roster, probably top three, top four in the league. They were healthy, but they were poorly coached. And you don't get too many instances where you get talent and health at the same time. Because next year, a good number of those dudes very well may be gone. Dalton Schultz is going to be a free agent. Randy Gregory is going to be a free agent. Cedric Wilson is going to be a free agent. Michael Gallup is going to be a free agent. Layton Vander Esch, and I'm not even sure if y'all want him back. He's going to be a free agent. Malik Hooker, DeMonte, KZ, Curse, they're all going to be free agents. And a good number of them are going to get deals somewhere else, right? This roster is not going to look the way it did this year. Like, they blew a monumental opportunity. And, Tyler, I want to ask you this question. If you give Andy Reid this roster, what do you think happens in the postseason? That's a really good question. Um, they They win... Okay, I'm going to answer your question with what my mindset coming into this was. And you know how negative I've been all year long. But for whatever reason, <laughs> I bought all the way in. Positive Tyler, for the first time he was born, he came here. And I think the reason was, like you mentioned, uh, to win, you need the talent you're talking about and you need the health. That was two things that they had. And they also, for the first time ever, the stars aligned. You got what you were talking about with the health and the and the talent, but you also, the path that you got you instead of playing a really good Rams team in the first round, you got the 49ers. And then instead of having to play Green Bay in the second round, you get Tampa Bay. You save Green Bay all the way to the NFC title game. And hey, who knows? Maybe the Rams beat them somehow. Now you're at home for the NFC title game. The stars aligned. This was your chance. And uh, Andy Reid, not even Andy Reid specifically, because Andy, if you are talking specifically about Andy Reid, they win that first game and I think they were a good enough team to beat Tampa Bay. I think they make it to at least the NFC title game. I think I, I genuinely believe that. And I, I, I watched Mike McCarthy's press conference today. I just just wanted to see it. And he still will contend that they made the right call at the end of the game. He believes they have the talent to make a run next year. And I just want to know what planet he's living on. Like, you're still going to have a lot of talent there. Um, I, I don't really know what Ezekiel Elliott's going to be able to give you in going into his age 27 season. And, you know, we've seen the data points on running backs going into age 27 seasons. The wheels fall off. So, and he'll also be coming off an injury and it'll be coming off a knee injury. And like he's, he's taken a lot of touches, a lot of touches. So I'm not sure if we've seen the best of Ezekiel Elliott, but it may be more likely than not on that end. It, it truly may. The, the part that bothers me the most about the press conference, like you're talking about is dude, how I, I don't even understand what your plan is like how hard would it have been to come out and just be like yo my fault you know in the moment that's what we thought the right play was how hard would it have been to be like no that's on us we that that is our fault instead he not only doubles down and says it was the right call but then he even puts it on Dak's shoulders he worked for where it was like Dak should have stopped you know seven yards shorter and like no this is on you like should have should Dak have stopped seven yards shorter yeah probably but why why is he in that position anyway that's your fault. That's on you. It's on you. It's on Kellen Moore. That is on y'all. And how hard would it have been to come out, especially if you know you still have a job, to be like, hey, that's on us. You know, uh, next year we're we're gonna learn from these mistakes and we're gonna we're going to improve. I have no reason to believe that if we get in this situation again next year, you're gonna do the same thing because you thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, and it also goes to this other issue I have with Mike McCarthy of not taking accountability all year long. They have put. Like when things do not go well, when things did not go well, they blame the officials. And it's one thing to do that in the building, right? 
just in the locker room behind closed doors. But they've he's got the players going out here, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Randy Gregory and everybody and Dak blaming the officials. And I'm sitting here like, what game did y'all watch? I watched you guys commit 14 turnovers for nearly 100 yards. And when you watch the when you watch the replay back, it's like, oh, that's clearly a penalty. Oh, that's clearly hands to the face. Randy Gregory, why are you de- why why are you getting called for defensive holding on a run play? And so this is not an issue of the officials. There's a there's a conspiracy against the Cowboys. No, nah, man, maybe just an undisciplined football team. Maybe just maybe you didn't show up ready to play. Like at least with Jason Garrett, he'd at least stand up in front of you and be like, "No, nah, we didn't do what we needed to do." But yep. BBW Jason Garrett wants to blame everybody and their mama for what the problems are. When it's like, no, it, it, you didn't get them prepared to play. Right. It's never been his fault. Dude, further to your point about they weren't ready to play, that is the number one thing that has pissed me off the most. I, I've spent hours ranting about it this week. If you want to hear me rant about it for hours this week, me and JT Barrett recorded a podcast earlier this week, Linen Closet, y'all go listen to it. But my main thing was, they came out so unprepared. One, I had said all week long coming into this game, if you win the coin toss, I want the ball first. I would like to put together this long drive. I want to score first for two reasons. One, all year long, me and you have had this running joke, and we're right. We can tell you two drives into a Cowboy game whether they're going to win or lose because when they come out, out the gate from the jump, they're the ones in the control. They can beat pretty much anybody, but the second, the very second, isn't going their way, they have a really hard time beating anybody. If you know you're built that way, look at the way San Francisco's built. They're a great running team. They have a very creative offense, but they don't have a great quarterback. It's going to be hard for them to play from behind. One, why did you give them the chance to score first to begin with? Two, after they score your first drive, what did you do with it? It was a three and out punt in which you lost 13 yards. They get the ball back. They score ten, or three more points. Before you've gained a single yard from scrimmage, you're down 10 to nothing. Do you not know your team better than that? If I know your team better than that, Alex, you know the team better than that. Why does Mike McCarthy, your only job, you don't call plays. Your only job is to know your personnel and to, to uh, like we were talking about, how undisciplined they, they are. I don't know if it's entirely fair to blame the head coach, but you really don't have any other jobs. You really don't have any other responsibilities. So, yeah, I'm going to blame you for this one. It's going to be a long offseason for the Dallas Cowboys. It really is. But once again, by the time you hit May, June, July, most of y'all that are listening to this that are Cowboy fans are going to be back on that narcotic. Y'all going to be back on the block looking for testers. I already know. Yep. Oh, they'll be back. They're, they're, I, I, I might be the only one going anywhere. And people keep telling me, oh, you'll be. No, no, the hell I will not be back. Y'all won't see me back. I'll still watch every game. I write about them. I'll still tweet about every game. I like people. Uh, a huge majority of the people that listen to my podcast are Cowboys fans. So, yeah, I'll still be here watching all the games, but I'm, I don't give a shit what they do like will i probably be in a good mood if they win yeah that'll be fine but i promise i will never be mad or sad about anything they do ever 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 again screw that i'm not falling for it i'm not doing it and no offense but y'all shouldn't do it either they've never done anything to give us actual hope and as you've mentioned this was one of your final chances to win and you're never going to have as easy of a path as you had this year so if like I'm a huge LSU fan, I'm rocking with the Bengals, man. The day they drafted Joe Burrow, I said, "Hey, I'm rocking with the Bengals." Then they draft Jamar Chase. Like, you know what? Bleep it. I'm all in. Let's just be Bengals fans. Like, find your team. You you don't have to keep putting yourself through this. You don't have to do it. 
we got to leave it right there. But we will be right back with more of the Game Plan Podcast coming up next. We're going to talk about the NFL coaching carousel and the plight of the black head coaching candidate. Don't go anywhere. This is the Game Plan. All right, so it is NFL head coaching carousel season, if you can call it that. So I believe there are about eight job openings with the latest job opening being the New York Giants firing Joe Judge and damn well, they should have fired Joe Judge. But there's been one firing that's kind of really stuck with me and really just frustrated me to no end over the past week or so. The Houston Texans fired David Culley after going four and 13 in his lone season at the helm. And this is, of course, with him being given the worst roster in the NFL, the quarterback who he thought he was coming here to coach. He was inactive all 17 games, yet still on the 53 man roster while awaiting to either be traded or indicted or charged for a litany of sexual misconduct allegations. So David Cully walked into a complete dumpster fire and somehow managed to win four games. And I'm just confused on what in the hell the Houston Texans expected from him because if they expected him to win more games, Cal McNair is an even bigger idiot than I thought. And if the issue is some sort of philosophical difference on the direction of the football team, that should have been figured out and he should have never been hired in the first place. Because if you fire a coach a year after they've gotten the job, you've implicitly admitted to the general public, we did a terrible search. And does anybody have any guarantee they're actually going to do a better search this time? And why does it always seem each time for a black man to get a job in the NFL or college football or something like that, it has to be a complete, utter dumpster fire. Like you never see a black head coach like walk into a situation, like get the keys to a mansion like Matt LaFleur did in Green Bay. Or, you know, black coach always, he's getting the Section 8 condemned apartment. Thousand percent right about that. Uh, even further to that point, a conversation I was having with somebody not long ago, you and I have talked a lot about how, unfortunately, black coaches do not have the luxury of failing. And they don't. Um, so much so that the only one who's had really any longevity is Mike Tomlin, who won, just did something that's never been done before, which was the, what is it, 15 consecutive seasons without a single losing record? Yep. And not only that, he literally is maybe behind only Bill Belichick, like the greatest coach of my lifetime. So literally, not only does it, not one, you not only don't have the luxury to fail, to keep a job that way, you have to literally be one of the greatest coaches of all time. I believe they're going to be two black head coaches next year because I believe Brian Flores is going to get another job. But when Brian Flores took the job in Miami, they were actively trying to lose football games and they had the worst roster in football. Somehow he dragged that roster to five wins in 2020. I believe they won 10 games in this past season. After losing, they went on a seven game losing streak. They rebounded, had a hot finish to the season. He still lost his job. What do you have to do to Get a job and keep one. And this is also why I've been really, I've been hoping Eric Bieniemy or Byron Leftwich don't just take any job they offer to you. Like the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would hang up the phone expeditiously. I wouldn't take the Texans or the Jaguars jobs if I was white. Like those jobs are that bad. So maybe, you know, 
it's always difficult to have this conversation because it always feels like in order for a black coach to get an opportunity or to get a shot, heaven and earth has to be moved. Right. And everybody comes up with every excuse why they shouldn't hire the black head coach. And it's all. And once you really kind of parse it out and, you know, run the logic on it, it's all bull because people always say, well, is it really Eric B or is it Patrick Mahomes? No one asked that question. It was Josh McDaniels or Bill O'Brien or even with Andy Reid's previous coordinators in Kansas City. No one asked, is it Alex Smith? When it was time for Matt Nagy to get hired in Chicago. No one asked that question. No one questioned or had an issue that Doug Peterson or Nick Sirianni had never called plays. No one had any problem. But with Enemy, there are questions about, well, I think he's just a glorified running backs coach. Dude, uh, a couple, uh, to a couple of different points uh, that you made there, a conversation you and I have had a lot about, and I didn't think about it in you brought it up and it made perfect sense. I had made the comment that I was really hoping Byron Leftwich would get the Jacksonville job. I thought that would be like, oh, it's Byron Leftwich back in Jacksonville. Look how good of a coordinator he's been. He'll get uh, Trevor Lawrence. You know, that'll be a good young quarterback for him. They do have some weapons. And you pointed out, you're like, no, that's an awful job. Uh, not only do black coaches not get the opportunity to fail, but uh, a second point, I don't know if you made this or if I'm making it now, but like how many – I think one of the biggest things I complain about with the NFL is recycling head coaches that didn't work. Yet they do it over and over and over again. But someone like Todd Bowles, he has proven he's an amazing coordinator since not winning with the Jets or whatever. He hasn't gotten another chance. So, like, to your point, not only do you not get the chance to fail, whereas a lot of coaches do get second, third, fourth chances for whatever reason. Unfortunately, not for whatever reason. I think there's a very clear reason why. But the black coaches don't get that chance. So, you know what? I was wishing... Uh, that Leftwich would take this job. I keep hoping that Eric B gets a job. Uh, I keep thinking Robert Flores, he should take this job, that job, the third. In hindsight, I'm glad, or I hope they don't take these jobs. I hope that eventually they get the one that is right for them because what happens if it turns into another Todd Bowles who unfortunately, like, don't get me wrong, being an amazing coordinator on winning teams, like, it could get a lot worse than that for sure. But, like, what if you never get that head coach opportunity again? And that very well could happen. You you mess around and take a Texans job or a Jags job, and you very well, unfortunately, might never get the chance again. I know we're going to be in a good place with diversity and hiring and inclusion and all that other good stuff, all the big, you know, buzzwords. When there is a black Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury is a white privilege Hall of Famer. Cliff Kingsbury, you made you need to name the white privilege Hall of Fame after Cliff Kingsbury. It needs to be the Cliff Kingsbury White Privilege Hall of Fame. Because I have never in my life seen somebody fail up into an NFL job. Most times, if a college coach gets an NFL job, they had to be the man in college. Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, Chip Kelly. We can go up and down the list, right? None of them were finishing fourth and fifth in a Power Five conference with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. Right. Think about how long we were told that Brian Shaw was going to be the next one to make that kind of jump. And maybe he got opportunities that he never wanted. I'm not really sure. But he was amazing at Stanford for a very long time. We kept being told he's going to be the next one. He's going to be the next one. And then Cliff Kingsbury has a losing college record and and, and gets an NFL job. Cliff Kingsbury's been fine at the job he's had. Like the Cardinals are a good team. They're winning or whatever. That's not necessarily the point. The point is how he got it to begin with. Yeah, like no one would ever, like Charlie Strong would have never gotten that opportunity. <laughs> Turner Gill would have never gotten that opportunity, right? 
Now with with Cliff Kingsbury, you don't, I don't, you don't think Will you don't think Willie Taggart's getting that kind of that kind of opportunity? Ah man, Willie did. He got a raw deal at Florida State. He got I a agree. Real, like they fired him really early into the tenure. Like, and he was just there was so much of a mess that they still are trying to clean up from the Jimbo Fisher years. And now Jimbo Jimbo knew what the hell he was doing when he got out of there. Yeah, because in my head I was thinking in my head, what fool would leave Tallahassee, Florida to go to to live spend that live their life in college station. Who would do that at a place where they won a championship since my grandparents were toddlers? Who would, who would leave that, leave Florida state where it's real easy to win in an easier conference? Who would leave and go and make their life harder? Right. You but, just got, you just got done winning there. You just won. Like he knew he's like, Oh no, man, this jig is up here. Hey, I bet I need to bounce. And so Willie Tagger was just start trying to start to clean up the mess that Jimbo left him. And then two years in, he got a role. Now he got another job at FAU, you know, but you know, he had to take a, take a step down. And I question if he's ever going to get that opportunity, a power five opportunity again. I really don't think he is. So like with their only he thing, damn sure, go ahead. He damn sure not getting an NFL head coaching opportunity. Oh, he's not getting the Cliff Kingsbury treatment. Oh no. Oh. Speaking of FAU, do you know the Texans interviewed Heinz Ward for their head coaching vacancy? I saw that. I saw the people they were wanting to interview and maybe already had. I saw Heinz Ward was on there. I saw wasn't Flores on there. Yep. And uh, was uh, who else was they? Was it like Gerard Mayo or someone like that? Yep, Gerard Mayo. And again, I'm like, hey man, we appreciate the commitment to diversity, but we will pass hard pass. So okay, the only argument that if I were playing devil's advocate and I were really, really, really looking like if this were debate class or a debate and I had like I was assigned uh, a side that I had to take, I think my debate on the Cauley firing would be when they hired him. They knew that wasn't the guy. This was like a, a bridge or whatever. But you look at the way they're handling this interview process. And like you're mentioning, it's Heinz Warhouse, Heinz War, like or even Gerard Mayo. Like, um, I mean, that's probably a better. And then you have. Uh, Flores, who like, if you can hire Flores, that would be amazing. But like, even then, what I'm, I guess the point I'm making is like, that's not even a good argument. Cause like you said, you didn't do the search very well the first time around. We had no reason to believe you would do a better job this time around. And you are making kind of questionable decisions so far. Like you said, it's dope that you're bringing in, I'm all for, uh, what's the, like bringing in position coaches and people that you think are going to be good, but have it just because they haven't been in a coordinator position or whatever. Yeah. Like that's fine. You can go ahead and be the ones to, to make that jump on them. But, uh, like even if I were trying to come up with a good reason as to why Cully was fired, my own arguments wouldn't even be good arguments. It's depressing to think about. It really is. It's just, well, to me, the, the even more, the even more depressing part of it would be, let's say very, very, very best case scenario happens. We walk out of here and let's say you have Tomlin, Flores gets another job, uh, Leftwich gets a job, Eric Bean finally gets a job, maybe even Todd Bowles gets a job. Like even then, you would have, what, five black head coaches in the entire league in a league where there's 30 teams or what, 32 teams? My fault. Yep. My fault. I was missing a couple. 32 teams, you've had five black head coaches in a sport that is primarily played by black players, like a lot of the best players in the league, a lot of the players in the league are black players. You would have five, I don't even know how many general managers there are. It's like how many would you have, how many black people would you have in 
positions of power. Like even if the very best case scenario happened, it's still and as we keep mentioning, that means they would have had to take bad jobs. That means they would have had to take jobs that they're probably not even to any fault of their own are going to fail at and then never get another one. And that really does make me think about the NFL's whole, you know, inspire change campaign, which I think is the biggest load of hogwash I've ever seen in my life. Like you have a social justice campaign in initiative, yet you are actively blackballing a player and have been blackballing a player now for the better half of a decade for kneeling for social justice causes like that's interesting like you can put in racism and it takes all of us in the end zone and it looks really cute but you guys are selling wolf tickets here and it's always funny like that whole it takes all of us slogan is like no it doesn't take all of us it takes you like because if like minorities could fix the systemic issues related to hiring or employment or other institutional barriers to success we'd have been done it by now if it was just like oh it's just us. Oh man, we we'd have had a meeting, you know, been orderly. We'd have figured it out in twenty five minutes flat. It's like, no, it's on you. And the other thing to think about here is the big reason, like in employment, the majority of the owners come from the private sector by and large, and the private sector is notorious for having issues with diversity and minorities in jobs of leadership and authority. And in contrast, the majority of the socioeconomic gains of African-Americans and other people of color, they've come through the public sector. Folks working for the for the postal service or joining the military, working for the state and public education, whether that's K through 12 or higher education. Right. So we're talking about a group of people who a lot of times on these boards and things like that, they ain't very many African-Americans. And they've never had anyone question why there are very why there are so few African Americans. Like to think about it, like in my PhD program, before I got here, there had not been a black student in the PhD program in there hadn't been a black student that graduated in sixteen years. So the last black student that finished a PhD in political science from University of North Texas, that was in two thousand and six. I was ten years old. And then I walked through the door. And it's, and I'm like is this seriously what it looks like around here? Like, it's just me here. I'm the only black student here. And the thing was that I realized was everyone else there, the, the faculty, it was normal. I, I mean, when you pointed out, well, they don't need to take those jobs because they're going to fail at it. Like, to me, it, it hadn't hit me because it's like, well, I, I would like to see as many as, as many of these people get chances to be in power positions, maybe then we can get more and more and more and more. But like you said, until we get to the point where a black coach can fail at the same rate as a white coach and like, who knows? I mean, it, it, it sucks to say it's not loud, but who knows if we're ever going to get to that point. We just watched Robert Flores and David Coley over exceed. We watched them overachieve and both of them are unemployed at the moment. Brian Flores will probably be unemployed for another like 50 seconds, but still that's not the point. Like in order for a black coach to get a job, or even black people in general, to, you know, go to to large white spaces and succeed. Black people, by and large, only send their best. Like we ain't like we're not sending everybody out here. Like and I thought about that even in terms of me going to my Ph.D. program, going to a historically black college and university. They just aren't like recommending everybody to go to these, you know, going to Ph.D. programs, you know, as they like to say, with white folks. They're like, uh, uh-uh, you like we are only sending our best one or two students because you are not about to embarrass us. You know, we're, we're only sending people out here who we know are going to be successful. And that is a consideration. White people, by and large, 
do not have to make. We got to leave it right there, but we will be right back with more of the Game Plan Podcast on the other side of the break. Coming up next, we're going to pick the winners of the divisional round. Don't go anywhere. This is the Game Plan Podcast. It is time to pick the winners of the NFL Divisional Round. Tyler, are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. Here we go. Bengals at Titans. Tennessee is a three and a half point favorite. Tyler, this is going to be a tough one for you. Yeah, LSU Bengals. But Tyler, who you got? It's not a tough one for me at all. I got not only do I got Bengals plus three and a half. I don't know what the money line is, but give me Bengals money line. They're winning this game, dude. They they are winning this game. I know. I said positive. Tyler's dead. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Maybe he's still here. But even if I didn't care at all about LSU or this Bengals team, I think I'm picking the Bengals in this one. I think I'm gonna go with the Titans here, and it's very tough for me to do that because generally speaking, I have very little trust in Ryan Tannehill and. I don't quite know what Derrick Henry's going to look like coming back from the foot injury, right? But the Titans, I feel like, have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Harold Landry is a budding star there. And I think given that the Bengals' run defense is really depleted, Tennessee's going to have enough to get over the hump. I'm going to go Titans by three. Yeah, I can't I can't argue with that too much. That Bengals line is just atrocious. And like you said, if – if Derrick Henry can be just decent with as bad as uh, the Bengals' defense is, I, I totally get that. I'm sticking with my with my Bengals plus three and a half, taking them to win, but I have a hard time arguing against it. All right. So, Niners at Packers. Packers are a six-point favorite. That is tougher. I'm still going to go Green Bay minus six, though, I think. I, I could see Sanford making that really close, especially if they come out from the jump. They're doing their thing. They're not having to play from behind. But uh, give me Green Bay minus six. I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to go. I'm going to take Green Bay and the points. The big thing the Dallas Cowboys did not do last Sunday is that they did not attack the weak point of the San Francisco 49ers, which is the secondary. I think given given Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers and having those receivers out there, Devontae Adams, Valdez Scantling, they're going to attack the secondary, even though it's going to be freezing and Aaron and Aaron Rodgers is going to be throwing around what's practically a brick. I feel like the Packers find a way to get it done, and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to find some way to make a mistake and give the game away. Dude, to your point, it's not even showing what the wind chill is, just the temperature. 12 degrees is what it's supposed to be on Saturday night. Oh, hell no. 12 degrees. Man, I tell you what, last week, this is totally unrelated. I, you know how pissed off I would have been playing for the Patriots? Like, I'm out here in... So, negative, the wind chills like negative five or negative six, and I'm getting my teeth kicked down my throat. Oh mm-hmm. no, I would have been yelling and screaming and cussing everybody out. Do you remember when Vontae Davis, I think it's Vontae Davis, quit in the middle of a game? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that would have been me. I'd have been like, I'm out. I'm yeah, out. Yeah. I'm not doing this. Or I'd have been like, yo, if I'm really not playing a whole lot of snaps, can I uh, stay in the locker room till y'all need me? Like, all I'm doing is special teams, running down on a kickoff. All right, cool. I will be in the locker room. Sitting yep. under a heated blanket until you need, look, 
Call, call. Let Look, me know when y'all need me. Third down, you want to make a punt alert, just send word back to the locker room. I'll <laughs> run out there and I'll be ready to go. Yep. So, to a much warmer locale, Rams are traveling to Tampa to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Tyler, who you got? Give me the Rams plus three. In my defense, this might be recency bias, but it's not. I, I would have picked them no matter how the Cardinals game went. Give me Rams plus three. They look amazing right now. And I even thought if the Cowboys were going to be able to beat Tampa Bay if they got there. And I like the Rams' chances better than I would have liked the Cowboys. So give me Rams to win the game, actually. But for sure, give me Rams plus three. <sighs> it's hard to pick against Tom Brady. He's earned the benefit of the doubt. He truly has. But, and it's even harder for me to pick Matt Stafford because he has not earned the benefit of the doubt. Fair. But given what Tampa's missing at the receiver spot, I mean, they've still got O.J. Howard, Cameron Braid, Gronk, and Mike Evans out there. And Tristan Wirfs, I'm not sure if he's going to play or not there. He's the best right tackle in football. We're not sure if he's going to play or not. Remember early when I said you need talent, health, and good coaching? They're kind of, in some areas, short on the talent at receiver and secondary and real short on the health. So I'm going to go Rams. I'm going to go against my better judgment and pick the L.A. Rams to win this game by three. I love it. We're I think we're on the exact same page on every one of them so far. Or no, did you go Titans? I, I went Titans, yep. Okay, okay. Still. And the last one. Bills at Chiefs. Chiefs are a one-and-a-half point favorite. Tyler, who you got? Man, this is, to me, by far the toughest of them. Uh, someone who is a gambling man my advice would be to leave this one alone completely if i absolutely have to pick though screw it for fun let's go bills plus one and a half let's do it i'm going with the chiefs chiefs at home patrick mahomes and the guys they've gotten it rolling and they finally in the chiefs team that the bills played earlier in the season it's a completely different team they were missing chris jones legerius sneed they hadn't gotten melvin ingram from the steelers yet either so, and given that the Chiefs have figured out how to compensate with teams playing too high coverage on them, and so they're not able to get as many big plays, right? They're learning, in some ways, a new way how to play football than the way they've played with, you know, the big play style for the last four or five years with Mahomes. And even last week, they were able to make those big plays, right? So, and I tend to think if the Chiefs are rolling the way they've been rolling recently, they're incredibly tough to stop. So, I'm going to go with Kansas City Fair enough. Uh, we're being a thousand percent honest. I probably do agree with you there. I figured you were going to take Kansas City, so I thought if I, it's a toss-up for me, just for parody's sake, I would go against what I thought you were going to do. But uh, <laughs> you're you're probably right. Oh uh, yeah, man, absolutely. But we are out of time here on the Game Plan Podcast. Tyler Lennon, I got to thank you for hanging out with me. Let the folks know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Yes, sir. On Twitter at Tyler underscore Lennon. I'm warning y'all in advance. My Twitter could be a really fun place, but it can also be super random. I will tweet very useful stuff, and then out of nowhere, I will tweet for the third time that week how Little Wayne's The Drought 3 is the greatest mixtape ever made. So fair warning before you follow me. Who knows what you're getting my work. You can find me. Uh, I cover all high school sports, but also uh, Cowboys, and then I'm a credentialed writer with the Mavs and the Rangers for Front Porch News. That's frontporchnews.com. Uh, and then I also uh, work for Chad's Media 
where we host the Tyler Lennon show. We broadcast games and then the, the Lennon Closet podcast. Y'all can go check that out. Man, thank you so much for having me tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Anytime you want to come back on, you know, complain about the Cowboys, talk about how you're off the narcotic, at least at some point here pretty soon, I want to get you back on and talk about Luka Doncic and the problems of the Dallas Mavericks. But we got to save that for another day. You guys can find me on Twitter at Alex Goodwin TSM. Again, that's on Twitter at Alex Goodwin TSM. That's T as in Tango, S as in Sam, M as in Mango. For Tyler Lennon, my name is Alex Goodwin. Wherever you're listening and however you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. This has been the Game Plan Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Damn, damn, damn.